always just about stuff. And, you know, like, it could be anything. You could, I mean, it literally could be anything. Um, I really, really, really like tennis shoes. Like, I just, I like them a lot. Like, I could just look at eBay for a long time, scrolling through. I find them for my kids. I found my, my daughter a really cool retro pair of New Balance for 15 bucks the other day on eBay. Brand new. It's a good find. I mean, like, it could be any kind of stuff or ideas or people. And, but the wrong notion about greed is that greed is about accumulating more. Greed is always about accumulating less. It is about filling your life with less than what has already been offered to you, and that is God himself. Who needs stuff when you have been offered God himself? So all human beings make this mistake. It's not like some people are greedy and some are not. Some people's greed is more visible than others. Right? But, but for the most part, we're all, we all struggle with wanting to fill our lives with something other than God. And therefore, we're settling for far less. My, my third child, Mason, Crystal talked to him right before we walked over here. His girlfriend broke up with him yesterday. By the way, he is a cutie. If any of the ladies want to see pictures of him later, he is on the market. Um, man, he thought he was in love. You know, you know that feel. I don't know if you know that feeling or not, but it's the worst. It is one of the worst all-time feelings. Even if you're the one that breaks up, well, maybe it's not as bad. But getting broken up, that's the worst. I mean, here's this person. Sometimes greed actually involves people. Like this idea that this person is the most important thing in life. This is settling for less. It's not that people aren't important. It's not that you can't enjoy things. But it's it's the presence of God Himself that is the absolute, hands down best. It is the good life. Well, you expect a preacher to say that, right? So I can't not be a preacher. I am a preacher, but I'm still swearing by it. That the fullness of God in the fullness of you, the abiding of God in your life and in your presence, you'll never get anything more than that. You have no place for greed if you know the presence of God in your life. Now, this is the good life. So Moses, Moses goes up on the mountain. Your Church of Christ kids, are all of you Church of Christ kids? Any black sheep in the group? Sorry. Crystal's not really a church Christ Most church Christ kids know these Bible stories, right? Moses goes up on the mountain, and he's going to see God. And he has this conversation with God, and God says to Moses, um, I will send an angel to go ahead of you, and the angel will lead all of the people of Israel into what? The promised land, right? And they're coming out of what? Oppression and slavery in Egypt. Like this is the end all for Israel. They're going to the promised land. This is always what this is what they always wanted. It is their destiny to go into the land and possess the land. This is still an issue for Israel. To go into the land and to possess it as their own. To be a legitimate, realized people group who owns land and possesses power. And God says to Moses, on top of the mountain, I will send an angel ahead of you, and that angel will lead you into the promised land, and it will be yours. You might remember what Moses' response to God is? Why me? No, that's no. way earlier. Good guess. That's the, that's the burning bush. So on top of a mountain, Moses says, I think that this is pretty remarkable. Moses says, I won't go. If it's just an angel leading us. I won't go if you won't go. 
I, did, I just, I want to be wherever you are. If going into the promised land, this thing that we've always wanted, and an angel of the Lord leading us into the promised land, this is what we've prayed for, it's what we, this is what I've promised to Israel. If going into the promised land, led by an angel of the Lord, is not going with you, then I don't want to go. Moses puts the stake in the ground. This is where I stand. What I want is God himself. I think that this is pretty remarkable. If God came to you, I don't know what it is that you really want. A, 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 a national championship. Or, again, you've had them before, right? Or um, a girlfriend, or a wife, or a boyfriend, or a husband, or a 4.0, or the internship, or the job, or really cool tennis shoes. I don't know what it is. If God says this thing that you've always, it's always part of your DNA, it's always what you want. If God says, I will send an angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord will march you into possession of this thing, and your life will look like this, for you to respond, those are all things that are less than you. This is wisdom. What I want is you, God. So, um, who's the person that read earlier? What's your name? Uh, Bennett. Bennett read the, the Luke 15 passage of the story of the prodigal. Maybe you recognized it. So there are, there, the older brother and the younger brother have something in common in this story. They both make the mistake that I'm claiming that most of humanity makes. That is, choosing something that is a departure from the presence of God. We'll talk a little bit more about the story tomorrow, but the, the younger son, in verse 13, this is Luke chapter 15, a few days later, the younger son, he asked the father, go ahead and give me my inheritance now. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his prop property in desolate living. Everybody knows that the younger son abandons the father. Everybody knows that part of the story. This is the mistake the younger son makes. He, he doesn't realize what he's got in the father himself. And he, he thinks that, I mean, this is, like, this is normal human being stuff. He thinks that maybe a better life is waiting for him somewhere else, and so he goes for it. And uh, we've talked about that story ever since, that the younger son makes this mistake. And, and please don't you make the same mistake, right? Thinking that life outside of God is better than life inside of God. But the older son does the exact same thing. In um, verse 28, the older son is talking with the father outside of the celebration. And he became angry in verse 28 and refused to go in. The father came out and began to plead with him. The older son is no different. He is keeping his distance from the father. Because if the father is in the place of celebrating the younger son, then the older son wants, has, has, wants to have nothing to do with that. And so he will choose, as, as revenge, he will choose separation from the father. And bitterness instead of the presence of the father. Well, what I want to do this weekend is encourage you to join the missional God in what the missional God is up to. But to talk about what the missional God is up to in order to join him, we first have to talk, talk about, do you want to be with God now? The 
And when I was growing up, we talked a lot about being with God in eternity. So like we're all buying time, hoping we got one of those golden tickets, hoping that we did enough right things or, you know, obeyed the five and then the extras that they added on. So that we could be with God. But this is never the sentiment in Scripture. The sentiment in Scriptures and in the church is that the good life begins now. That heaven is a continuation of what the disciples have already been experiencing. Not a perfect life. Not a life without struggle. A life full of the presence of God. And this is the story of the prodigal. It's the story of the younger prodigal and the story of the older prodigal that both have missed the point. The father is fully present for them. He is theirs for the taking. I mean, I don't know you very well, so you may already know all this stuff. But I find myself wanting to, you know, in a loving way, pry your mouth open and just sort of ram the love of God down in there. In, in, in loving kindness, of course. To convince you that there is no better life than life in the kingdom of God. And the reason that there is no better life than life in the kingdom of God is because this is where God resides. And what you find in the story of the prodigal is that you are all that God desires. I'm asking you to only desire God. But the beginning of only desiring God is this revelation, this aha moment when we discover we are all that God desires. Nothing more than us. It's truly hard to believe. This is what the younger son discovers, right? When he's on his journey back, and he's got this speech and the father just sort of swipes it aside and embraces him. He was just the son that he wanted all this time. The older son is the same. I mean, you know, have you ever known an older son? Like, that kind of a religious person that's cantankerous and always angry and singing about the love of God with a scowl on his face at church? This is the one whom God wants and loves and desires. You are too. Desiring God alone is to know that you alone are desired by God. So I mentioned that our oldest uh, child, person line, is Emma. And she's 23. She's 23 now. But I remember when Emma was born. We lived in St. Louis. And um, she was beautiful. And I mean that in an unbiased sense. Because Mason wasn't that beautiful when he was born. You know, like, not all babies are beautiful. People say that they are not at all. It's just a warning. Like, Mason's really good looking out. He was not beautiful. He was kind of not that great. Emma was. Emma was beautiful. Had lots of hair. It was like reddish brown hair and really red cheeks and thick lips and, like, kind of olive skin. She was gorgeous. And uh, she was kind of chubby, even as a newborn. There are a lot of really miraculous moments that Jason's about to experience, right? 33 weeks, oh man, it's like, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And there are a lot of like moments in the birth of a child and immediately after that are like, these are sacred moments, right? But I think that there's this one moment that's the most sacred. If you'll allow me to talk about it, you know, it's, I mean, it's a little bit human 
they don't like to talk about our humanity very much, but it's a little bit human. When, when Emma is laid on the bed and we wash her, so she's clean, change her, put a little diaper on her, she's comfortable. We put that nightgown that, that's been prepared for her, right? And then you take her to her mother. This is who she really wants. You take her to her mother. And miraculously, the mother's own body feeds the baby. But this is, I don't know if you ever thought about that very much before, I hope not, probably. But <laughs> this is a really sacred moment. Like it's, it's like you kind of hear some music playing in the background, and, and the husband fades to the dark, and the spotlight, and God is approving this way. It's very, very sacred. Don't crack a joke in this moment. This is a special moment. But this isn't the most sacred. The most sacred is you have this baby who's clean and, 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 and warm and in her mother's embrace. And now she's fed. She's full. There's this moment when the baby leans back and then leans forward and puts, or I just can't really think of it, takes her mouth off. You know, you know all that. <laughs> she lays her head on her mother's breast. Man. This is a moment. Child is happy. Mother is happy. Silence. Stillness. Just is. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. Nobody's doing anything. You just are still experiencing glory. If you try to take the baby away from her mother in this moment, it's not going to go well for you. Either from the baby or from the mother. But who do you suppose treasures this moment the most? But Emma can't remember. But her mother will never forget. Emma comes to her mother's breast and she has absolutely nothing to offer except abject need. Right? Like she has nothing to offer. She is later going to poop her pants and cry in the middle of the night. This is what she has to offer. I was so shocked that it didn't register to me that she won't be able to walk or talk for like two years. She's going to be this boring little blob for a long time. <laughs> it's true, Jason. You like, as a dad, you like, imagine her running up to you and hugging. She can't do any of that stuff. Just lazy. But she, without thinking, wants the space. But the mother can think about it can think about this child who has nothing to bring except her breath, and the mother wants nothing more than that. Emma will grow up, and she will become a beautiful woman, and she will marry, and she will go to grad school, and she will become an artist, and she will do all these things that are wonderful, and they're the development of her identity in God, and we, we're proud of her and happy for her, but there will never, ever, ever, ever be a moment that her mother treasures more than that one. Never. She won't treasure her less, but she won't treasure her more. It's not like Emma could ever do something in her life that her mother would want. that tops you. That tops. Like, when you did that, it was like, I thought I liked you before, but now I really like you. No, it's simply Emma is all that her mother wants. Where do you think human beings learn this? Bad parents know this. Evil people know this. They have received it from their father because their father wants nothing but you. That's it. He's happy for you 
When you do right, when you follow his path, he's happy for you, not for him. He's happy for you because this is the way to the good life. All he wants is you. This is remarkable, isn't it? Like, you do things, you do things for him. But you're not really doing it for him. You're doing it for you. Because he has, he's guided you into the good life for you. The boys, when they, when they get a little bit older, like maybe some of you did this, they come downstairs, they're, you know, four and five, and they're wearing just their underwear. You know, and they wrestle a little bit, but they're always looking at dad to see if dad's watching. And then they just like, try and do some moves and flex their muscles. You know how little boys are. And they, in their minds, think that they're impressing me. And they think it because I feed them. Oh, wow. Wow, son. Show me some more, you know. But the truth is, I about all that stuff. I just love you, Caleb. And you, Mason, and you, Emma, and you, Kate. I just love you because you are. I think that when we receive this for what it truly is, outside of all of the barriers created by our religious experiences and expectations, well-intentioned, sort of learning through life to sweep those aside and receive this as central, God is love. As love, God loves me wholeheartedly and wants me and nothing more than that. Everything else is just bonus. This is the beginning of wanting God beyond all things. This is the beginning of the removal of greed, wanting less than God himself. It's the beginning of avoiding the younger and the older son's mistake of longing for a life outside of the Father. Who would want to live outside of this space in which you are so valued and desired just because you are, because you breathe, because God has breathed life into you? Well, so my life's goal is to... Um, Learn to always breathe God in every moment of every day, even while I sleep. It's, it's an unattainable goal. But it seems like a really good to be mindful of the presence of God 24-7. And um, I know that I'll never reach that, but I'd like to just like grow toward it. Grow toward this valuing God of all other, th other things because I have been valued by God above all other things. I have a really great relationship with Crystal Moore Rush. She's great. And when I was Mason's age, some dumb girl broke up with me too, and it hurt really bad. I didn't know I was going to meet Crystal later. And, uh, I, and her name is Crystal Moore, and I left the dorm one day all dressed up, and the boys in the dorm said, where are you going? I was like, going on a date with Crystal Moore. And I could see it in their eyes. She would go out with you, and she would have gone out me, and I'm too late, I have a wonderful relationship with Crystal Moore. And it's not, it's not like what I have with God. God is everything. I want, I want God to be everything more and more. So much that I just, I can't stop breathing the presence of God in and out, in and out, in every moment of every day. No matter what is going on around me, God is everything. Don't you, don't you, is there a part of you that kind of wants that for yourself, or 
Just give me a knob, like pretend like that's what you want. There's a, um, okay, I'll close with this. And I'll get short enough or a little too long. Get sleepy. What time did I start? 920. <laughs> All right, there's this Ken Follett story. That's my favorite. So this would be like a good segue into tomorrow. Ken Follett. Anybody read Ken Follett? He writes these um, uh, historical fiction about lots of things, but my favorites are World War One and World War Two. He tells the story about Billy Twice. So Billy Twice, his name is Billy Williams, and everybody in town has a nickname, and so they call him Billy Twice, Billy Williams. And uh, he lives in a coal mining town, and everybody, everybody's involved in, involved in coal mining. It's very difficult um, life, and they're all poor. And his father is kind of a known figure, and he's not always well-loved by some in authority because he stands up for those who are mistreated. When Billy turns 13, now he's old enough to go down into the mines with the other men. All of the boys are terrified on their first day to go down into the mines. And Billy is no different than the rest of them. Billy twice goes with the rest of his friends. They don't go to school that day. They go to the coal mines. It's going to be their first day to go deep under the earth and hopefully not embarrass themselves by crying or screaming. Hopefully do their job well and rise up out of the mines a man instead of a boy. Billy and his friends go to the front office and they're given their assignments and they go to this like this um, elevator thing it's just this wooden cart and it, it's, uh, it's got these pulleys and it lowers them beneath the surface of the earth and they all have these lanterns each person has a lantern hooked to their belt and they check the lantern to make sure it's sufficient and Billy and a couple other boys they are led down the mines by a man Billy doesn't know this but it's a man who is an enemy of his father's Billy and the other boys go down deep and they go along the tracks and and the man gives each an assignment. Billy's the last one. He takes him deep into the caves. And he, in, the, in showing him the tools and showing him where he works, he has switched out Billy's lantern with one that he has preset to go out on Billy. He tells Billy he'll come back in a couple of hours and he leaves him. He leaves him back in the darkness of the caves all day. Within a couple of minutes, the lights go out. He has no idea where he is or what to do. He can't go anywhere. He'll just be lost forever. So he stays there. His job is to, to scoop this, this filth into a, into a big old thing that they run on the rails. And so he's doing it in the dark. And he's terrified. As, as anybody would be, he's got claustrophobia and he's frightened. He doesn't know what else resides in the dark. And he doesn't know what to do, but he remembers. And he says, 13 years old. He remembers that his mother has told him that Jesus is always with you. It's not, not a Christian book. He's just telling the story at the beginning. Jesus is always with you. And so he thinks, well, maybe if I sing some of the hymns from church, maybe that I will feel like Jesus is with me more. So in the darkness, he's scooping and he's finding the, the big bucket thing, puts it in, and he starts to sing every hymn, and he's, he's amazed by how many words he can remember, and he begins to feel, as he's singing the hymns, that Jesus actually is present with him in the darkness of the cave, and he could swear that there's this one moment when, he, you know, when you're like, have you ever been really, really dark, you can't see the hands in front of your face, that he could swear that he looks into the darkness, and the darkness, and he sees the figure of Jesus with him there. He's there all day. Finally, this tormentor comes to pick him up at the end of the day. Sure, he's going to find him curled up in a ball and weeping like a child so that he can shame him from the other men. But instead, he finds him steadily doing his work. They walk in silence back to the elevator. He doesn't know that the man has done this to him on purpose, but everybody else knows about it. 
as they're riding the elevator up, one of the younger boys, who's a bit of a bully, decides to poke him about it and says, I bet you cried while you were down there. And Billy said, I sure did. He said, I bet you cried while you were all alone. And Billy says, well, I wasn't all alone. Jesus was with me. And the boy, the bully, starts to laugh at him, but the other older men silence him. And Philip writes, it's not a Christian book. He's telling the story at the beginning of a saga that's due with World War I. And Philip writes this line. And from this day forward, he was no longer called Billy twice. He was now called Billy with Jesus. I really read that story. And I thought, that's what I want. I want to so value Christ. But in my mind, in my heart, Christ resides in every moment. And this exudes out of me. This is where, this will segue into what we'll talk tomorrow about, about being joined in the mission of God and His work. How can you not, how can this not just ooze out of you, even without trying, if God is all you want? And greed is just wanting something lesser than that. That your great desire is the presence of God, and you are abiding with God in every moment of every day, breathing Him in and out. Because you know he loves you so. You sang it earlier. I don't know if you believe it or not. Sometimes I believe it. Sometimes I don't. You know he loves you so. And has invited you into the celebration. Alright. Good enough. Hope I didn't waste your time. Tomorrow we'll talk about joining God in the mission. Let me pray for you. Is there other stuff to do or an invitation? Do we have a magistrate here anywhere? I'm just joking. It's church prayer. Um, I'll make announcements okay. after. Let me pray. God, I'll confess for everyone, whether they're guilty or not. That, um, most of us at times want things that are less than you. And it's probably because we just lose focus or forget or struggle to believe that you are everything. And maybe that's because we don't know that we're everything to you. We have insecurity and legalism, our own failures that get in the way. It's my prayer that tonight and this weekend, your Holy Spirit will come upon each one of us in power. That you will soften our hearts. That you will create in each one of us a tender and renewed longing for you. An awareness of the depths of your love for us in an increase of our love for you and our desire to join you wherever you are in whatever it is that you are doing. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.